in this country, uh, whenever Presbyterianism was mentioned, or especially Scottish Presbyterianism, whenever it was mentioned, we were portrayed as a people who were obsessed with sin. If you've been in the United Kingdom for any length of time, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. In comedy sketches in this country, on the TV or in newspaper pieces, we were, as Presbyterians, ridiculed for a supposed preoccupation with people breaking God's law. We, you know, the world outside, the country outside sees us as a people who are obsessed with sin and sinfulness. I, as I stand before you tonight, wonder if that is really an accurate representation of where we are. See, yes, I know theoretically we get it that sin is a big deal. Theoretically, we understand that sin, the wages of sin is death. Theoretically, we understand that it's, it's a big deal, it's an, an, an offense to God. But I wonder, does that actually match up with the reality of where we are this evening. Can I ask you this, just just to kick things off? Who in here tonight, this week, has cried over their sin? It's not a, a, a silly question to ask, is it? I mean, which? How many of us have have really genuinely wet, cried tears because we have offended God, a holy God, this week? When, when we read, let's say, that portion of scripture in the book of Ezra, you know that portion of scripture where Ezra falls to the ground and he tears his clothes and he tears out his beard because he cannot believe the sin of the community. That portion of scripture sounds really strange to us, doesn't it? Like it sounds foreign, it sounds alien. Aren't we a people who do not fully recognize our sin, and aren't we a people who aren't really bothered all that much even when we do? This evening we're going to look at this fascinating portion of Scripture. It's a great portion of Scripture where Samuel, the judge in Israel, what he does, you notice it's the farewell speech. He's passing over it almost like the keys of power to Saul the king. Now as he does this, what he does is preach. This is a sermon that we're dealing with tonight. And it is a sermon that is aimed to show or lead people to a fuller understanding of their sin. And do you know what I like about it? It's an effective sermon. It really is. The people recognize their sin. What do they do? They turn back to God. Israel turns to God. So I wonder this, and I've wondered this all week. Is that what's going to happen in here tonight? Could, couldn't it? Through his words, could God not show us something more about our sin? How offensive it is to him? Could he not show us the depths and the horrors of our iniquity also that he might lead us back to him in gratitude for his gospel and for his grace? Well, to consider sin, first of all, our first heading is this. We see here in 1 Samuel 12, sin... But sin set against God's judge. That's the first heading. Sin, but we see it set against God's judge. Okay, now, sure you would agree with me. There's never been a stranger beginning to a sermon than the one we've just read off in in 1 Samuel chapter 12. Wouldn't you agree that it's a rather odd way to begin a sermon? Do you see what Samuel does? He gets up to begin a sermon in front of the whole of, of Israel. What does he say? Basically he says, I'm the man. 
But then he recently gets up in front of all Israel and says, I am the bee's knees. Like what Samuel does is he adopts a legal language. It's, it's, it's all technical courtroom language. And what he's doing is he's putting himself in the sort of metaphorical dock, if you like. And what he does is he asks questions to the people about his time as judge. Did you notice the questions? He's sort of saying to the people, have I, come on, as judge, have I been corrupt? Have I defrauded you? Have I been dishonest? And if you're awake, maybe you can almost kind of hear the response he gets. Because all the people are before him. They all clear in unison. Verse 4 no, you've not defrauded us. You've not been corrupt in any way. In fact, it's quite beautiful, isn't it? Like, what a vindication of his rule. Isn't it lovely? It's all been, it's all been above board. He's been a wonderful judge. Now, the question we're obviously asking is, why on earth have you begun your sermon like this? <laughs> why have you done this? Like, what is Samuel doing here? Like, is he just wanting to go out with a bang? You know, his ministry's coming to an end. Is that it? Just wants to end on a positive note. No, 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 no. Tell you what he's doing here. He is emphasizing the people's wickedness. Because you think about it. What have the people just done? They have just demanded a king. Haven't they? Isn't that what the people have done? They have just rejected the system of judges of which Samuel was a part. They demanded a king. And the question in the ear, of course, was what? Was their hand forced? Do you see it? Did they have to ask for a king? Was the system of judges, was it corrupt? Did they have to ask for a king because Samuel was so unjust, a wicked ruler? And what does Samuel have them affirm? No. Not at all. What had God done? He had given them... A spotless judge in Samuel, hadn't he? He'd given them such a godly, a beautiful, a wonderful example. A, a, a lovely man, a just man, a good man. Do you see the point? Samuel showing these people that their rebellion against God had no grounds in legitimacy. What was their demand for a king? It was pure, unadulterated, simple wickedness. It was sin. Now, tonight, we could apply that in so many different ways. Don't you think there would be a legitimate way to talk about Christian integrity when we're face to face with Samuel? Don't you think? You know, the idea that, that maybe as Christians we should be able to do what Samuel does. We get to our deathbed. We get to the end of our lives. We should be able to look back. Shouldn't we, and on Christian integrity, that our lives were, if we sought to, 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 to be above boards, maybe we could go that direction. But I think there's something bigger here. Did you notice the, the sermon title tonight? Recognizing our sin. Recognizing our sin. Repenting of our sin. And friend, I want you to understand this. If you're a Christian in here tonight, you will only properly understand the depths of your sin... If you see that wickedness set against what? Set against whom? The spotlessness of your judge. You see, we, more than these people here, we have got one over us who is perfect in every single way, don't we, in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
We have a leader, we have a ruler, we have a, a judge who, is, who has led us in perfect and beautiful righteousness. And he's been this wonderful godly example for the people. And yet, even as Christians, what are we guilty of tonight? Even this week, what are we guilty of? Surely we have rejected his rule. Isn't that what we do time and time again? You look back on this week, you look back on the way that we're living. What do you see in your heart? That we turn away, as these people do, we turn away all the time from the spotless judge of the people of God. So I warn you, tonight we could look at the people of, people of Israel and we could say, how ridiculous, how dare they reject a man like Samuel? Samuel! They reject Samuel! We're doing something far, far, far worse. So we see sin set against God's judge. A second thing we see here is sin set against God's faithfulness, his faithfulness. So you're with me thus far. So Samuel is preaching. He's trying to expose the gravity of the people's sin. We get the idea. What he does next, really quite dramatic. I wonder if you notice what he does. Because I've just said that he kind of stages this metaphorical court case. You know, where he's in the, in the dock. Okay, now, what he does, very subtle, he continues that sort of metaphorical court case theme. But did you notice who he puts in the dock this time? He puts God in the dock. He puts Yahweh himself in the dock. Now, because of that, there's this kind of... A a, a change in the tone of the sermon that he's preaching. Because you know what he says here? He says to the people, he commands them, stop still! He says to all of Israel uh, before him. And you can imagine it, the thousands of people, that might have shocked them. You know, suddenly they are quite quiet, they're standing still, they're listening to Samuel. And what he does is he retells the history of the people of God. Now I wonder this. When I read this portion of scripture a moment ago, did you notice the pattern that emerges in Samuel's retelling of the history, of salvation history? Do you notice the pattern? Follow me, and I tell you, you'll see it. He speaks of the exodus. What does he say? Here's your pattern. Follow this. He says, the people reached a crisis point. What did they do? They cried out to God, and then God delivered them. Then he speaks about the trouble with the Philistines. Guess what the pattern is, people? (laughs) The people reach the crisis point. What do they do? They call out to God, and then God delivers them. So do you see what Samuel's doing? He's reinforcing the faithfulness of God. Like he's saying to Israel, time And time and time again, God has been good to you. You've reached a crisis point. Time and time again, what's God done? God has rescued you. Now again, we we, we reach this question, don't we? We Almost like a dead end. But we're saying like, this is your farewell address. This is your farewell sermon, Samuel. Why are you talking about God's... Why are you looking backwards? Why are you talking about God's faithfulness in the past? And I, I wonder, London City Presbyterian Church, do you see what he is doing? Samuel, again, is emphasizing the people's wickedness. He's, the people sin. Have a look with me, friends, at verse 12. Verse 12 is the key thing in this whole chapter. See if you can find verse 12. Do you see what he does? 
he accuses the people of not crying out to God. They've broken the pattern. Do you see it? They don't cry out to God. He's saying God has been faithful time and time again. And what's happened? Nahash has come. Nahash the Ammonite. And he's threatened you. And you felt insecure. And you you thought everything was uncertain. You reached what a crisis point. What do you do? Do you cry out to God? No. You think you can do it yourself. Isn't it? You think all you do is you ask for a king. Do you see it? In a time of uncertainty, the people here have ignored a faithful God. (laughs) My wife and I talked about this chapter a couple of times this this week. And, And Catherine said what I was thinking, which happens a lot. She says, sometimes you read the Old Testament and you just shake your head and you think, how can they be so stupid? Don't you? You look at the people of Israel and God has been so good to them. Time and time and time again, the Exodus, the wilderness. Oh, and what this Nahash threatens? And and after all of that goodness, I mean if you if you were here for the sermon series, God has just defeated the Philistines and it wasn't that long ago. And now Nahash comes and what do they do? They don't cry out to God. It seems silly to us. Isn't it the same for you and me? Aren't we guilty of, of exactly the, the same thing tonight? Because the makeup of London City Presbyterian Church is the fact that a lot of us have been believers in here for a long time. There's very few sort of new Christians at London City Presbyterian Church. And do you know what that means for us tonight? Most of us in here, we can look back... <laughs> On God's faithfulness to us, can't we? We can look back on decades, some of us, of God being good to us. Isn't that right for, for some of you? You know, God has been so good to you spiritually and saved you from sin and, and matured you and, 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 and blessed you as well. And practically speaking as well, isn't it true? You know, like you've cried out to God. You've reached crisis point in the past. Haven't you? And what's happened? You've cried out to God, haven't you? And what has God done every single time? He's been good to you. He's heard your prayers and he's brought you up, right? Isn't that true? And yet, what is true for so many of us tonight, that we reach a point of uncertainty. A lot of us are insecure. A lot of us don't know what's happening. There's this thing in our lives that's causing such uncertainty. And what do we do? What do we do? We do not cry out to God as we should. Tonight, when there is this thing happening in our lives that we ignore God just as these people have done, don't we? We're not putting our trust and our hope in Him. Do you know what Samuel's doing? He's showing you the faithfulness of God. Your covenant God, eternally good. And as we see Him and we consider our present situation, aren't we taken to the same places in the first point? You look at the faithfulness of God in the past. Aren't you stunned by your own sin in the present? Third thing. We see sin set against God's sign. So we see sin set against God's judge, Samuel. Sin set against God's faithfulness. Third thing, God set against God's sign. I was brought down to earth with a bump this week by my little girl. 
Juliet, who was four years old, uh, had been bad. <laughs> not like not terrible, but uh, nothing criminal. Uh, but she'd been mischievous. Uh, so what I did was I did what I thought I should do, and I took this little four-year-old away to the side, and I gave her a row. But what I wanted to do, what I thought I should do, she's four now, you see. So I thought, I'm going to explain to her why what she's done is wrong. You know, not just give her a row, but try and explain it. And you know what? I thought I did a really good job. I, really, I thought I did an, an amazing job. I, I made a compelling argument to Juliet. It was a logical argument about why it is that what she's done is wrong. And I thought, I've nailed this. And she's, got, she's really understanding why she's done, you know, what she's done is wrong. And I thought that until I got to the end of the argument and Juliet just looked up and just said, Dad, what's, Dad, what's for tea? And at that point I realized that this little girl had not listened to one syllable, uh, not one word of what I'd been saying to her. It's fallen on deaf ears. I think that that is what Samuel is scared of in, in 1 Samuel chapter 12. Now you see what I mean? Like he has made this compelling case to Israel about their sin. Hasn't he shown them that they have no excuse at all for their wickedness? It's a marvelous argument. And I think he is scared that this is just falling on deaf ears. So what does he do? He calls on God to perform a miracle before their eyes. Now, I've actually, I don't know if anyone remembers this. I've preached in this portion of scripture before. Um, but it was a while ago, so you're off the hook. But when I preached on this portion of scripture here a while ago, I said that maybe for you and for me, maybe me especially, the miracle that God performs doesn't seem all that marvelous. Do you see what it is? Have a look with me. Look at verse 16. What does he do? What's the miracle? What's the sign? The sign is that he calls down rain on the land. And I said the first time that I preached on this, I said, you know what? If I was back home in Scotland, I could, I, I could replicate this uh, miracle. I could pretty much guarantee every day of the year I could go out and call down rain on the land and it would happen. But the key thing here is when this occurs. Now, did you notice that? This is rain. At harvest time. Now, let's, let's, let's walk through that. Do you see what that means? This is May and June. This is the dry season. Israel, the dry season in the, the, the middle, middle East. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? This rain, and it's, it's ferocious rain. It's, it's a thunderstorm that I think destroys the crop. Do you see it's unheard of? Now, let me turn this to you, please, friends. What do you think the point of the storm is? Like, what is the point being displayed in this miraculous thunderstorm? Would you say to me, it's to show the power of God. It's to show the might of God, the destruction of God. Yes. But you know what we very often miss when we read this chapter? You are told exactly what the storm is about. And you need to look at it. It's verse 17. Look at this. The storm is so what? So that these people will see their wickedness is 
great, you understand that? God sends now the storm. He destroys the harvest. Why? So these people will understand from God Almighty's point of view, their sin is it's not a trifling matter. It's, it's, it's not insignificant from God's point of view. See the storm. Their sin is, their sin is awful from God's point of view. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Is there anything for, for us there, for, for London City Presbyterian Church tonight? Do, do you see what, what is there? Does that storm not point you somewhere else in Scripture? Does that, that storm not point you somewhere else in redemptive history? Does it not point you to the greatest miracle, the greatest sign that God has ever performed? And what is that? Is it not what we studied this morning? Does it not point you to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm asking you, friends... What do you see when you gaze on Golgotha, the greatest sign, the greatest miracle? What do you see? Do you not look there and see the severity of your sin? I mean, consider it just for a, a moment. Like we, we think our sin is nothing. We don't weep over it. We don't cry over our iniquity. But think of it. So severe, so awful is your sin, friend. What was the only way? That it could be dealt with. God the Father had to punish his one and only son. You see that your sin is such an offense to a holy God. It's such a grave matter, a serious matter that involved cosmic wrath upon the righteous and holy Son of God. Isn't it terrible? Don't you look at the cross and don't you see the severity, the gravity of all? Friends, it is the cross. It's the cross that clinches the argument, isn't it? What do you see when you look at Golgotha? What do you see? You see that your sin, the sin in your life just now, is a terrible, 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 terrible thing. And we end with a fourth thing. So you see Samuel is trying to give these people a picture of their sin. Against the backdrop of a righteous judge, against the backdrop of God's faithfulness, against the backdrop of this almighty storm. Let's think about sin against God's grace. (laughs) Against grace. This week, this past week, one of my colleagues uh, retired from ministries. He's uh, a man that some of you know very, very well, a man called John Ross. He's been down here, he's preached in the congregation before. Uh, last Sunday, I think it was last Sunday, was his very last uh, as a full-time pastoral minister. And you could tell uh, that it meant a lot to him, you know. Uh, he was posting the sermon text on Facebook and he was inviting a lot of people to come along for his last service. And you can see why. Why? He wants to go out on a high. In fact, more than that, he wants to leave the people of God after all of these years of ministry. And he wants to, to leave them rejoicing in Christ Jesus. Right? You see it? You understand it? It's the same for Samuel. This is his farewell speech. It's one of the last times, that, one of the last times that he's going to address the, the Israel. And you can see because of that, there is this tension and atmosphere here. Because think of it from Samuel's point of view. After all of this, did he, Desperate that these people will understand. Isn't he? Like he's desperate these people will understand their, their sin, that they will see their, their sin, that they will turn back to God. So the question we're asking of the text is, do they see it? Do they see it? Have a look. Verse 19. 
Hallelujah. They see it. Like suddenly, dramatically, in the aftermath of this great storm, the people, they all realize they are sick here from Samuel. They see this miracle and they realize that though they are the people of God, that they have been straying from God, that they hadn't recognized their backsliding before now. Now they see it. Now they recognize it. They cry out in verse 19, we have added to all of our other sins this evil of requesting, demanding a king. I wonder, as I end, is that of what is happening in here? Is it for you, Christian friends? Like, has God shown you something through the Holy Spirit and through his word of your sin again tonight? Like, have you, is, is what I said at the start of the sermon come true, have you, have you seen something of your sin in new depth and new clarity and in color and in high definition? Is that, is that what's happening? If so, what do we do? If we understand again that our sin is great before God, what do we do as his people? Is there anything we can do? I close with two things. You ready? What do we do? First one sounds ridiculous. What do we do tonight? We recognize the severity of our sin. You ready? We can rejoice. Look at verse 22. Look at what Samuel promises these people. And they are crying. They are distraught over their iniquity. And what does he promise? He says, God will not forsake his people. Do you understand what that means for you tonight in Christ Jesus? It means that God will not treat us in the way that our sin deserves. You see your sin, don't you? You see that we are covenant breakers. But God is a faithful God. God is a good God that he will not treat us in the way that we deserve. We are deserving of destruction. We are deserving of hell. We deserve God to turn away from us. And he will not do that in Christ. And why? All because when we look at Calvary... We don't just see the severity of our sin. What do we see? We see the dealing with sin. We see the bearing of sin. We see an atonement for sin. And then the last thing, we rejoice. But friends, we have to return. You see, the people of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 12, they don't just recognize their sin. They don't just see anew their wickedness. What do they do? They cry to God. They turn back to God. Samuel actually cries out here. Verse 20, he tells them to turn back to God and to serve him with all of their hearts. And surely that is the message for London City Presbyterian Church tonight. Surely you agree with this biblical thesis, do you, friends? That we do not take our sin as seriously as we should. That we have too lax an attitude towards our lack of joy, our lack of passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely you agree. Well, let's repent of that tonight. And through prayer, through the study of Scripture, let us do this and serve the Lord with all of our hearts tonight, friends. Let us praise God that this is true. That in Christ and because of Calvary, God, if you're a Christian tonight, God will never forsake those who are his.
Let's pray.